Today's scripture is Ephesians 6, 1 through 4. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You guys can take a seat. Thank you, Allison. All right. Well, good morning again, everybody. My name's Sean. If I don't know you, I'm the lead pastor, teacher pastor here for Redemption Peoria. Uh, if you are new, just know Redemption Church, you're going to hear this a lot. It's one church, nine different congregations spread out throughout the state of Arizona. Um, each congregation is elder-led, lead pastor-led. You might have some questions about what that looks like. Um, myself or any of the elders would love to help you navigate that. We'll be in the lobby afterwards, so we can help answer some questions. Um, so we're starting in chapter 6 of Ephesians this morning, and um, we go through the Bible verse by verse, chapter by chapter. Chapter. And um, the reason I'm bringing that up that we're in chapter 6 now, I'll give us some context in a minute, but that means we're at the end. It's crazy. We started this at the beginning of the year. We're in the last chapter now of uh, Ephesians, which is bizarre. So uh, what we thought it would be good to do as a staff is kind of give everybody a heads up as to where we're going. So I want to give you guys a quick uh, rundown of our calendar uh, preaching-wise. So on the 7th is when we're actually going to be done with Ephesians. That'll be our last sermon on Ephesians. On the 14th, we're going to have a baptism Sunday. If you've never been here before on a Sunday where we do baptisms, it's really great. We are super intentional about how people are baptized, very symbolic. We love doing it the way that we do it. So, um, yeah, it's really awesome. I, I want to say you'll see a uh, little caveat under there. Um, if you've never been baptized before and you're going, you know what? I think on October 14th, I'd love to be baptized. Maybe you're a new believer or you haven't processed baptism in a while, what that means. Um, and you're going, you know what? Now's the time. I, I really want to be baptized. We want you to know what you're doing. Okay, we don't want you just to kind of half-heartedly be dunked underwater because it's cool. Um, actually, if you know anything, it won't be cool. It's either going to be really hot or really cold. But um, that's a whole other topic. But here's what I'll say. On September 30th, we're going to have a baptism class, which um, is important because if you want to be baptized, we need you to go to that class. So you can sign up. You're going to hear some ways to sign up at the end of service. On the 21st, we're going to do our annual Story of God Sunday. If you've never been here before that, once a year in October, we get an artist in our congregation, and we have them, through their gift, tell the story of God, meaning um, we believe that the, the Bible is written in four acts, creation, fall, redemption, and then restoration. And historically, we've done painters who come up here, um, and it's been actually all women who've done, done this uh, uh, account. So they've painted the story. They've said, this is what I painted for creation. This is why I painted for fall, whatever it is. This year, for the first time, we're not doing a painter. We're doing a photographer. So she takes pictures, and she's taken specific pictures in her catalog and said, I feel like this is what signifies creation. She's going to explain that for us. I love it. It's one of my favorite Sundays, if not my favorite Sunday, all year. It's also a family worship weekend. So that means we're going to have the kids in here so they can hear the story of God. Super legit. Uh, October 28th, uh, we're going to start a sermon series called The Five Solas. If you don't know what that is, it's deeply rooted in our Reformed theology. It's uh, super important as to the core of our values in Christ alone, um, in faith alone. We'll go through all five of them. So December 2nd, Advent begins, which is the Sunday after Thanksgiving. And we're going to have that, that time every year kind of leading up to the time of Christ and his birth. And then the 24th is, you know, Christmas. Great. Um, so I do want to say though, uh, Christmas Eve, uh, 4 PM and 5 30 is when we're gonna do our Christmas Eve services. It's Christmas is super goofy this year. I think Christmas Eve lands on a Monday. So I think we have a service on Sunday and then we do Christmas Eve services on a Monday. I think that's right. Um, anyway, you're probably looking at your calendar right now. Um, so anyway, that's the plan. Cool. 
Okay, let me pray for uh, us, our text, as we go into, uh, man, starting chapter 6. It's a trip, so let me pray for us. Father, thanks so much for who you are. Thank you that you've given us your word. You have not left us um, so that we would wander, but we have a clear voice right now in the room, and it's the Bible. And I pray that as sheep, we would hear the shepherd's voice. We recognize that there are people all over the world who can read these words, and it means nothing to them. But spirit, as you permeate our hearts, as you permeate the room, as you permeate the scriptures, we're moved to action. We're melted. Our hard hearts are broken. Thank you for that. Thank you for using your word to do it. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so um, if you are new, I got to catch you up. And I know if you've been from the beginning, you're like, yeah, let's get over this three-minute uh, catch-up period. Here's where we are. The first three chapters, I bet some of you guys could actually do this. The first three chapters in the book of Ephesians is set um, with a tone of doctrine, meaning it doesn't tell us what to do in the first three chapters. It's telling us things on soteriology, the study of salvation, ecclesiology, understanding the church, reconciliation, or our relationship with one another. It's laying out the work of Jesus and how it plays out in all these facets. Well, as Ephesians turned into uh, chapters 4, 5, and 6, it begins to give us the commands to base our life on those first three chapters. And so it's been super practical. Well, we hit probably I think it was probably three or four weeks ago, this uh, section in scriptures in chapter five that told us we should be filled with the spirit. We shouldn't get drunk on wine for that's debauchery. We need to be filled with the spirit. And it gave us some ways that we can be filled with the spirit. And one of those ways was that we would uh, be, we would submit to one another out of reverence to Christ. Well, what Paul then does from that point is he tells us how we can submit to one another. And so he gives us what, what I've been calling this divine order, this divine order of community, of family, and how we see it play out. So wives are to submit to their husbands, and husbands are to love their wives. And today we're going to cover how children are to obey their parents. And then next week we're going to see the uh, slaves and their masters, which obviously requires a lot of unpacking. So all that to say, this morning we're getting to talk about parenting. Okay, and I, I want to address a few people in the room um, and, and talk about a few things. Uh, first and foremost, I know everyone in here is not a parent. What I would encourage you, though, is to recognize that you're forgetting a huge keystone um, of Scripture, and that is parenting at its core is a community project. And I'm telling you, I need my kids to see Stevie. On Monday nights. I need them. I need them to see that he loves Jesus. I need them to see uh, Gabe. I need them to see Nick. I need them to see Maggie. I need them to see Maddie, the Macklins. I need to see. I need, I need my kids. And, and hear me. None of those people I just named have kids. None of those people I just named are, are married. Right? But, but wholeheartedly believe that they're responsible to hold me um, as a parent up to the test of scripture and at the same time getting to watch how I raise my family so that one day uh, they may have hopefully a good godly reference point. So just know I understand that everyone is here is married, but everyone ultimately also is a child of God, which is huge. And we'll come back to that at the end. But um, as far as our text goes, there's a few things that need to be said. The first thing is this. Um, there's two people that do not exist in our context or in this context that exist in our context. The first one is the advanced adolescence. So um, I get questions a lot from the 18 to 25-year-old who's going, should I be obeying my parents? They're telling me what to do. And here's what I want to say to that. 
you don't exist in Ephesus, okay? The context does not exist. Our, our culture, you know, like the 30-year-old playing video games at his mom's house isn't, uh, isn't in the text. Like, uh, no one's, Paul's not really wrestling. Like, when you play Madden, make sure you only get an hour a weekend or whatever. That's just not there. Um, so, so that person doesn't exist. The second thing that doesn't exist, which comes up with questions a lot, is the fact that the hierarchy of family in our context has completely removed the grandparents, I mean, we have made grandparents some Disneyland fictional character that always gets to say yes and never has to discipline. And it is bogus. It's unfortunate. Like, instead of being this deep well of wisdom, this wise sage that our kids can go to, that they don't just like, but they also respect, they go to, like, the, the ice cream man. That's how they view you. Like, I get to go to grandparents and do whatever I want. And it's unfortunate that we've bought into that lie. Because um, cultures at this time were far more meshed together. And you can still see this in Eastern culture. And we're going to come back to this. But it wasn't just the core family that you had, like a mom, a dad, and the kids. But you had a mom, a dad, the kids, and the grandparents, and even sometimes the great-grandparents all in one house. Now, that doesn't mean that the parents didn't raise the kids. But there was this well of wisdom that was going, you see... You see that there? And so it's unfortunate that we've painted that, uh, and it's, it's different than the way we understand our context. And those two relationships, the advanced adolescence and the removal of the grandparents, is going to play a big part of the way that we see this text. So I'll do my best to address it as we, we uh, come against it. The second thing that I need to um, point out is a big job uh, that, you know, as I get up here every Sunday, something that I wrestle with is inputting my opinion when we go through a text, I have a lot of opinions. I don't know if you guys know that. Um, and, and, and I try. I do. I desperately try. And one of my prayers on Friday and Saturday night is, God, as this is done, as this is, I, I just, I don't want to interject what I think or, or turn it to like some flavor of me or my bend or whatever it is. That has never been so difficult as it has been this week. I have so many opinions on parenting. Um, and, and here's what's crazy. I think everybody in the room has opinions on parenting. I mean, you, <laughs> you could just walk into there. We don't have, like, libraries. I mean, there are some around still existence or, like, uh, Barnes & Noble or whatever. But you would see, like, just shelves and shelves of books on parenting. There are so many ideas out there. So here's the, my commitment to you as we go through this text. I'm going to teach what I truly believe. And I mean this. I truly believe the text is putting in front of us as a church. I will. I'll, do, I'll be as honest as I possibly can. And the moments where I feel like I want to just say something about that, I will be clear. Usually I'm not clear. I just kind of make you think that what I'm saying is the Bible. But I'll be clear. <laughs> I'll be clear and go, here's my thoughts. This is, this is me saying this. So, and you can go, well, that's just dumb and I'm cool with it. But if the Bible's saying it, obedience is not optional. You hear it, and if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, listen to it. Let it saturate your heart. Cool? All right, let's look at our text together. This is uh, verse 1, chapter 6. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, for this is the first command, uh, with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Let's look at our text real quick on the screen. So here's what I want you to see. It doesn't have numbers, but what you can know is... 
There we go. Perfect. That's the one that, that, that I sent them. So I, I sent them this underline portion because um, of the four verses here, the first three verses refer to kids, and only the last verse is going to be directed towards parents, fathers specifically. And here's what I want you to know. In this tiny little compact four verses, we have more imperatives, which is a fancy way to say commands. The Bible is telling you to do something. We have more imperatives than the, in all of the first three chapters of Ephesians. And here's the four imperatives. They're imperative statements. So the first command is towards kids that they are to obey their parents in the Lord. That is a command. We're going to break that down. The second command, and it's not as easy to see in, the, in English, but it's clear in Greek, that honor your father and mother. This is the first command with the promise. There's the second command, to honor your father and mother. The third command begins now pushed towards the parents. Do not provoke your children to anger, which leads us to the fourth one, but rather bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Those four imperatives are how we're going to have to break those things down and, and really try to attack what scripture is ultimately telling us in regards to the, the, the parent-child relationship. Cool? Okay, well, let's start with verse 1. Here's, here's where it starts. Children, obey your parents uh, in the Lord, for this is right. The first word that's going to pop up is the word obey. Um, and here's why this word obey is probably worth uh, sitting on for many reasons. But the first thing I want you to notice, if, if you were here a few weeks ago, we talked about the relationship between a husband and wife. And when we talked about the relationship between a husband and wife, we said that wives are to submit to their husbands. But now he's going to reference in the divine hierarchy that children are to obey their parents. So this is a big difference. And I think it's an intentional uh, difference by the Spirit putting in front of us that I process stuff with Candace. I mean, house, life, even parenting. I'm processing, and ultimately, it's my job to take the lead in these things, right? Or to have the ultimate authority, at least, in, in these certain situations. But that is not my relationship with my kids. So I talk with Candace, I go, what do you think? What is this? And we make a decision. I'll tell you what won't happen. Tomorrow, I won't go, hey, Titus, wake up, buddy. Hey, listen, um schools today. I don't know if you want to go. What do you, what do you think? Do you want to go? Or I don't know. What's your thoughts on that? Like that's, that's not going to happen. Cause guess what? I'm going to wake up Titus tomorrow and guess what he's going to do? He's going to go to school. And you know what is probably going to happen? He's probably not going to want to go to school. Okay. But he's going to obey. And there's a difference there, right? This word appears 21 times in the new Testament and every single time it, it appears, and this may be obvious with the word obey, it's a, it's a, a desire or a command pushing towards a result or an action. Meaning Jesus sees the waves and the wind being out of control and they obey him. In Acts 6, we are to conform, literally the word is obey our life to the gospel. What's even crazier is in Romans 6, you can obey the wrong things. We can obey the flesh. And so when we see this, there's a desire there's someone who's giving a command, and then there is obedience. And that is the relationship between a parent and a child. So um, I understand that there's not very many kids in here, but it would at least be helpful for you to know who are parents or plan to be parents or just watching parents. This is what you can expect from a child, that they are to obey. Um, and, and I just to be for clarity's sake, when it says your parents, you know, I, I was able to use this because my parents were drug addicts and off the, off the, the rails and, and weren't, you know, I was raised by different men and women and like a wolf pack. But, um, <laughs> but, um, but I, was, I could almost use that. And I, at, at the core, I think this is communicating guardianship. The one who is over you, maybe that's a grandparent, aunt, uncle, maybe you're a foster parent or whatever it is. You are their guardian, and so they are to obey you. But listen to it again. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. 
Now, let's go back to wives. Remember, um, in the same way that submissiveness is contingent on submissiveness to the Lord, obedience is contingent on obedience to the Lord. So if a husband says, this is what we're going to do to the wife, and it's against the commands of Scripture, she is in clear, um, like daylight, she's, well, open up, here it is, no, I disagree, I'm not going to submit to that. And in the same way, I know it's a silly example, but if you're like, we're going to go kill people tonight to your child, your child is allowed to be disobedient in that moment if it's against the commands of the Lord, okay? So that may be obvious, but, um, which actually brings up a really good question, because um, going back to what I said in the beginning, who's this command actually to? Right? When we see that you're obey your parents, it says children, but who is children? Like, what is that? Is that like in our culture at 17 and then you're no longer a child? Or, I mean, so honestly, when does even a child stop becoming a child? We have this like go from toddler phase to like walkers. I don't know what we have all in the back there, but however, it, like it goes to the next phase. When do these change? At what point are you 12? You're no longer a child. I mean, Corbin right now is 10 years old and I'm like, He's a child for sure, but like as he begins to enter 11, 12, 13, 14, is he a child the way that I process him? And so um, I, I went to Stott, John Stott, who I've been using as a commentary for all of Ephesians, and I thought he had some helpful, um, but ultimately no answer, uh, which is bummer. But here's what he says. In the Roman Empire, I'm sorry, in the Empire of Paul's day at least, the power of the Roman father extended over the children's whole life so long as the father lived. A Roman son never came of age, which is interesting. In some third world countries today, especially in Asia, a similar custom prevails. All one can say in relation to such situations is that either law or custom in every society recognizes at least a measure of independence for young people, either when manhood or womanhood is reached or when they attain a certain age or when they leave home or marry, you know, you go on or wherever with that. Christians should not defy the accepted convention of their own culture in this matter. So long as they are, so long as they are regarded in their culture as children or minors, they should continue to obey their parents. So his point is that we have a culture of saying, usually at 18, that's when you're no longer, you can say you're allowed to do what you want with your life, right? So we should, we should, we should live into that. And it's goofy, right? Because even in Jewish culture, 13 is when somebody becomes a man, but they were still obeying their parents. So here's what I would say on who's it referring to. I don't know. I have no idea. I cannot give you a hard and fast rule. I think it is safe to say if you are 17 or younger living with your parents right now, obeying um, is something you need to listen to here. Oh, you need to obey obeying and you need to obey your parents. And if you are a parent, you need to expect that from your child. But the reality is, man, I know personally um, guys coming out of the hood at like 16 years old, had a full-time job, um, taking care of their little brother and sister. And I would go, that's a man far more than I know 29-year-olds who just can't get their act together, 35-year-olds who can't get their act together. And so it's not easy to be able to process all that, but I would just put in front of you, um, it's, it's somewhere the way our society processes it. And I encourage you to have a conversation with your, with your spouse. So anyway, all that to say, the last four words though, seem to be throwaway words, but I would argue are the most important of what it's being said in verse one. So children obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. 
This is, and I know you're not excited, but this is where I get excited because we get to build on some things that we've been talking about. That word right is the word righteousness. It's literally the root word righteousness, meaning what righteousness and holiness is, is God directing us back to the way things are supposed to be. Human flourishing is found in righteousness. This is the right way. And what he's saying is it is right. It is a righteous thing. God's order, his divine order is that uh, kids obey their parents. Now hear me, you don't have to be a believer to know this. I mean, any successful society has based their laws on the fact that children are obeying their parents and not vice versa. You could be in a situation and it's, it feels awkward even if like an 11 year old tells his mom, shut up. You almost like duck for them. Like, is he going to die? I don't know what's going to (laughs) happen. Right. And, and, and it's even worse when the parent does nothing. Because in that moment, like, I know I want to punch both of them because I'm like, you need to punch your kid. And I'll punch him first. But more than that, but more than that, honestly, there's a recognition that is that you go, this is awkward. This is really awkward. This is not the way that it's supposed to be. It's, it's, a, it's, it's a breakdown of what is right. You understand? So um, I want to encourage those of you who feel like having your kids obey, like that's some terrible way to to say it. Man, I want to encourage you to know that this is a loving thing to do, that that you are leading them in a path of what is right. And I would double down in saying that by by putting this in front of you. The next verse, look at verse two, because I think this is also helpful. Um, Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. So the next command, I think is going to play off a little bit of this, but listen, is the word honor. So children are to not just obey, Paul adds this, but he's now going back to Exodus 20 and they are to honor. Now the root word of honor is to prize or to value. So let me speak real quick to those of you who are parents. It is not loving to not teach your kids to not honor and obey. And I may sound super charismatic pastor, but hear me when I say this, you're robbing them of a blessing that God promises them. It just says that right there in the scripture. And it, I understand there are exceptions, but the rule is God gives long life to children who obey. And when you chalk it up to, ah, oh, they're just sassy. Oh, no, 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 they're just too young. I, I can't, no, you're robbing them. You're robbing them. And I'm not saying being domineer to ruin their personality, but whatever you would process as honoring and you stick to your guns and they begin to step out and they begin to be disobedient. Like there's moments where if my kids ever, and and we have a lot of uh, uh, adult friends and people in our house. And so my kids can joke around with adults, but if there's ever a moment where I sense a tone of disrespectfulness to another adult, game over, game over. Because listen to me, I love them. I want them to know a long life. I want them to experience this promise. And it is a loving thing to teach them how to obey and to teach them to honor. Because check this out. If you're not a parent, I'm going to give you a heads up. If you are, you already know this. They ain't naturally coming out of the womb obeying. They have to learn it. And for you to kind of passively step away, you're robbing them. You're robbing them. Teach them to obey teach them to obey. So again, let me read it. It's helpful because there's another group that I want to talk to real quickly. Honor your father and mother. This is the first command with the promise that it may go well with you 
and that you may live a long life in the land. It's interesting that it would say a live a long life because you can now begin to almost take this verse and uh, make it a little cyclical, meaning there's another group of people of you, and I, this would assume everybody, who are children of somebody. And um, I think this command could be great because there are many of you, most of you, who are no longer in a phase of life where you are to obey your parents. But hear me, honoring will never go away. And so, yes, you were in a season of your life where they viewed your life as a parent. You moved in, you were in a season where they, they had a voice in your life and they had a vote. And maybe you got married or maybe you moved out and they no longer have the vote. But hear me, they always have the viewing and they always have the voice. Can we just stop real quick and talk about a culture that prides itself in power so much, in productivity so much, that when somebody gets to an age where they're no longer productive in our society, we gently and quietly push them off to the sides and it is not honoring them. These are the men and women in scripture who we would put at the city gate. We would put them at the city gate, say, you guys decide who gets to come in and out of the city. We would go to the city to ask them, I've never been 33 before. What should I do here? I've never been 43 before. What should I do here? I've never been 53 before. What should I do here? But hear me, they're not productive in our society. They're bringing no value. They're retired. Maybe give some money. So let's push them off to the margins. That's not honoring them. That's not honoring them. Hear me. Uh, Well, here's Stott, because I think he lays the hammer down on this exact point for those of us who are children, which is all of us, but have living parents, even after we are no longer under the authority of our parents and are therefore no longer under obligation to obey them, we still must continue to honor them. Our parents occupy a unique position in our lives. If we honor them as we should, we will never, uh, I'm sorry, uh, we will never neglect or forget them. Many third world cultures, even non-Christian ones, care for elderly parents far more thoughtfully, I love that, far more thoughtfully than most of us do who live in the so-called Christian West. Although in some of the circumstances it may be unavoidable and others even desirable, it is a sad reflection on the selfish Western tradition of the nuclear family that instead of looking after our elderly relatives ourselves, we co-sign them to an old people's home, thus to isolate and even symbolically to reject one's own parents can seldom be reconciled with the command to honor them. Now I understand there are situations where you, you can't, You have to maybe put them in a place where they need to be taken care of because you're working or whatever it is. There are situations, but hear me. Here's what Candace and I know for sure. My parents, even though they left me high and dry, and her parents, my in-laws, and even my adopted family, I promise when that day comes, there's no question they'll be taken care of. And I don't mean relegated so that I don't have to take care of them. They will continue to be heavily involved in our life till the day they die. Hear me. We will honor them. And I think that is true to Scripture. Let's not buy into the society that continues to tell us if they're not productive, they don't add anything, let's do away with them. It's not okay. You don't have to be obedient, but you always have to honor. Which leads us to the final verse, verse 4. It says this, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So now the command is going to change towards the parents, but if you notice, it's not just to the parents. It is specifically, you ready for this? to the fathers. And I think obviously it can apply to both parents, but patras is the word. It's the way we get um, maturias, where we get our maternal instinct from. This is patras, paterias. It's the idea of a father. 
And so can I just speak real quickly uh, to this? The responsibility we're about to lay out, dads, look at me, is on you. What we're about to lay out is on you. And I know I said this a few weeks ago, but we got too many passive go with the way it goes, uh, uh, husbands and dads, and it's just not cool. The command that's going to be laid out is you as the spearhead. We got too many dads who are thermostats and not thermo- or thermo- thermometers and not thermostats. They're going, here's what the temperature is. They're not setting the gauge. This is what discipline looks like. This is how we're going to go. This is what's right. This is what's wrong. That is your job, dads. I don't care what personality type you have. You don't get out of this command. And if you plan to be a dad one day, prepare yourself. Fathers, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So here's what I want to do with this back part. Um, There's three statements that I think are telling. It's to not provoke your children into anger, the word but, and then, uh, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And here's why this is important. Um, I'm going to go through them, but I'm going to show you how um, the word but is juxtapositioning to one another. And I think it's a tell on what provoking is and what discipline and instruction is. Okay, so uh, let's start, first start with provoking. Uh, this uh, word appears, the word provoking actually appears in Colossians 3.21, but it's a different Greek word. We translate it to English as the same, but in Colossians 3.21, it uses the word eros, which we um, use as the word arousal, usually in areas of sexual arousal uh, for, for the Greeks. But this is a, a different sense that it's an arousal of anger, that you are provoking, you are bringing about something towards the direction of anger in your child, okay? Now, we don't fully understand, like, exactly how that looks like, so let me just put this in front of you. If you are a dad and you are intentional, you will know when you are provoking your children, at least looking backwards. You will. You'll go, "Ah, what was I doing? Like, I I did that. That That was my own desire, whatever it was. But kids, specifically teenagers, will always know, all of them. They'll know when you're trying to poke and prod. But here's what I want you to hear. I think some of us, specifically to my generation, were afraid that discipline or the strictness of discipline, too much discipline, is what is provoking. And I think the word but is actually telling us the opposite. So what he's doing is he's holding up these things against one another. Don't um, provoke your children to anger, but, so the opposite, do this, don't do this. Remember we talked about that earlier. Discipline and instruct. So what you can hear in all this, and it's important, it's not to say that you can, you're disciplining too much and that's what's provoking them. It's coming from a different place. So hear me when I say this. Man, I struggle with this. I do. I, I, um, I ask Candace all the time, like, am I being too hard on him? Like, am I pushing him too much? Am I, and, and, and I worry if it's provoking. And, and, and then there's a moment, right, where, like, they take their uncle's amp, guitar amp, and they throw it in the pool. And I go... No, no, I'm not instructing and disciplining enough, um, right? I had to tell my, uh, my brother-in-law was in for service. I was like, hey, bro, I forgot to tell you, your amp is broken. Um, so, so, so he, hear me. I do not, th- there's a difference here. Provoking seems to signify an intentional, um, maybe living out of your own past regrets, uh, living vicariously through your children, you're pushing them. You're pushing them because you have your own agenda and it's emotional. Discipline and instruction is the opposite of that. It's intentional. You have a plan. 
But when you react in the wrong way and you prod and you poke and you continue to go, you'll know it. You'll look back and regret. So here's how I think we can actually see what this looks like. It's actually in the word, the way that we use the word discipline. So we use the word in our own um, language, in the English language, discipline. We actually use it two different ways. Think about this. So we use it in a, a, a proactive sense and we use it in a reactive sense. We use it proactively in that... Um, I'm, I'm proactively setting disciplines for my kids. You do this yourself. You discipline yourself with food, with money, with working out, whatever it is. You're not in trouble. You're just, you're disciplining yourself. And so in my house right now, my kids know uh, Monday through Friday, there is no screen time. We have no technology Monday through Friday. They can have screen time on the weekends. I've disciplined them. Candace and I have disciplined them for that. We've disciplined them so when they get home, they know homework first. Then they can go out and play. So that is a proactive discipline. We do, all of us do this. You early on are proactively teaching your kids that electricity is bad by not letting them stick something in the outlet. So that's something, the oven is hot. You're proactively going, oh, that burns. You see, it's hot. So you're, you're doing this. And that is one way we use discipline. But we also use it in another way, which is reactive, of course. And that's probably what you thought uh, when you saw the word discipline, and I think rightly so, and I'll explain that. Meaning, um, you react to them breaking verse 1 of chapter 6. They were disobedient. Not that they made a mistake, because if I can get the parents in in a second to give me an amen, they're going to make a lot of those. Like, why is it so hard to keep water in a cup? I don't understand. I just don't understand. And usually it's my water that you went and took. Like it doesn't, I I, I do not understand the difficulty of this. You think you can hold it with one hand, but your hands are this big. It's not going to work. Okay. Now, when they make a mistake, hear me, when they spill the water, which they will, I'm not punishing them. I'm not reactively disciplining them. I'm going, what is your problem? Okay. But in that moment, it is not disciplined. But hear me when they are intentionally disobedient, when when they know, for example, let me bring it. When they know there's no screen time Monday through Friday and I walk in and he quickly puts his uh, iPod under his pillow. It's disciplining time. It's reactively. You have been, and you knew you were being disobedient. And so in that moment, we can see a a difference between the way we understand discipline. So here's why I share this. I think Paul's using discipline and instruction to explain those two ideas. Meaning, I think the latter instruction is proactive discipline. This is your job as a parent, right? This is what you're doing. You're you're teaching, even in serious things, you're going, listen, um, you can't say these words. These are words you can't say. If somebody's going to touch you in the bathing suit area, it's only mommy, daddy, a doctor, whoever it is. If there's a bully, this is how you confront that bully. You're teaching them very practical life lessons. Not only that, you're teaching them through the lens of scripture. You're teaching them the story. You are instructing them. And hear me, this will go on almost all of their life. But more so specifically in our first 18 years, this is happening. And it's good. You are instructing them. You're telling them, hey, listen, I've been 16 years old before. I know what this is like. And you could say it's a different world, but I get it. I understand at least the core of what's going on. And you are instructing, instructing, instructing. But there are moments where they intentionally disobey. And that I think this is where the text is referring to discipline. So to not provoke in that moment to anger fathers, the opposite of this would be intentionally laying out a path for them to walk, excuse me, to walk in. That, that, that you're giving them, I'm teaching you this. This is what you need to know about boys. This is what you need to know about girls. This is what you need to know about scripture. This is what you need to know about society. This is what you need to know about TV. This is why internet is good and bad. There's all these things that you need to help them understand. Because check this out, they don't know. 
And more importantly, someone will instruct them. So I would challenge you to get ahead of the curve, instruct them, and when they are disobedient, discipline them. So this is where I got to speak to my generation specifically for a moment. This is Sean talking, okay? Um, I'm worried, Sean talking, as I read this text, that we are buying into culture's narrative um, when it comes to parenting. So to the 20s and 30s who are parents, um, you are doing your kid no good. You're doing yourself no good. And hear me, you're doing the world no good. When you teach your kids that there is a line and when they cross it, there's no consequences. If you set a boundary in a loving way, you are proactively putting something in front of them and they are disobedient to that and you chalk it up to they're just kids, you're doing them no good. So hear me, we treat, we have like two opposites when it comes to the 20s and 30s. Either like kids are the worst thing on the planet and they'd rather have a dog or they're like, once they have them, they're like, well, I can't, I don't want to, I don't, yeah. No, hear me, live into scripture, see what it's saying And then this is important, discipline them, discipline them, teach them that when you say no, it's no, because listen, if you're not going to ground them, they're going to grow up and the government is in our prison system. Yeah. Right. Okay. Like, listen, inevitably somebody's going to tell them they're a terrible person. And so what you're doing, you're trying to be the short term buddy, bro. Be the long term friend. Be the long term friend. It takes a strong backbone. I know it is a difficult space to exist in, to recognize that this person you love more than anyone on the planet besides your spouse, you have to be this like person who's telling them, instruct. It's not easy. It's not easy in moments where they just don't like you. I have to ask my kids all the time, you know, daddy loves you. I'm not telling you this because I don't love you. Yeah, I know. I know. Okay. Like, and, and, and the truth is I'm reminding them over and over and over again, because there's like this, like, I, they don't like what I'm saying, but hear me. I love them. I'm the long-term buddy. I want Corbin to be 35 and us sit together and I'm watching his kids. He trusts me. He respects me. I trust him. I respect him. And we're friends. I'm the long-term friend, not the short-term buddy. And that is difficult. And our generation has to wake up from the stupor that we're in and treating our kids like they're gods. Discipline and instruct. And this is all tied up with a bow that it is in the Lord. Because you have ideas, you have opinions, and the world's got a billion more of them. And you can read any book right now, and I can get you another book that tells you the exact opposite. And so here we are hearing all these voices, and God just calmly puts in front of us in verse 4 of chapter 6 in Ephesians, do what I say to do. Go to scripture, read it. What's the Bible directing you towards? And it's not going to tell you, well, make sure you spank or use cloth diapers or whatever it is, right? But what it is going to do, it's going to give you these values and what you need to do to not be aroused in anger. That, that you do need to discipline and instruct. Get on your knees and pray that the Spirit would guide you and lead you. Which leads to the last thing, and this is where I'll close. Um, when we do this, um, I think Spurgeon, he said it the best, because um, 
<laughs> well, he always says things the best. But li- listen to what he says in this. Um, then I'll share this last piece. I didn't want to skip over this quote because I thought it was so money. Um, and when it comes to instruction, specifically to my generation, but all of us. Train your child in the way in which you knew you should have gone yourself. If we never have headaches, this is huge. If we never have headaches through rebuking our children now, we shall have plenty of heartaches when they grow up. It's true. Right now, we're the long-term friend. We're not the short-term buddy, and it's going to give you headaches, but stick with it. So here's what I would uh, leave us with. You're going to fail a lot. So to those of you who aren't parents, brace yourself for the correction like nothing else. I thought I learned so much from the Lord when I got married to Candace and, and he just unearthed so many things, but it was so meager compared to how much he has removed idolatry as a father. I mean, you just, how much God relates to us as a father. And then I'm sitting there going, that's not how you treat me. That's not how you treat me. And you're going to act, hear me. You're going to provoke to anger. You're going to mess up. You're going to fail. You will fail. But here's, here's what I would encourage you to do. See, your ki- see yourself as you see your kids from your perspective. Meaning, you love your kids, you discipline your kids, but here's the word that we hang everything on. But you give them grace. And yet here's God looking at you going, Jesus did it. He did it. He got it right. And so he's now calling you in sanctification one day to be like him because of his work on the cross. You're not going to get it right, but it's fine. He did, you ready? Grace. Tim Mon said this perfectly, and I could not encourage you enough to hear this. You will fail in parenting. The plan you need to make now is how you can keep a short account in apologizing. So there is nothing like teaching them in the Lord through your own life of going, Daddy shouldn't have got mad like that. Like, Daddy needs Jesus just like you. I had to do this two days ago with Titus. I, I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have done that. I'm so sorry. And them to hug you and go, it's okay, Daddy. Like, just breaks you. That in that moment, understand there's these two things that are just your knee-jerk reaction is going to be. One, I'm just a failure as a parent. I would remind you, Spurgeon said some of the worst men in the world were raised by truly godly parents, so breathe. But the second thing is your natural inclination, inclination is going gonna, is gonna to want to live vicariously through your kids. So are they the best in their sport? Do they know Latin, Singapore math, and French? And you're going, dude, I don't know Singapore math. I don't understand why we've changed math. Math has always been math. Mr. Incredible is right. And so... So, so, so hear me, like as we, as, as you process this, you're going to have these, but listen, breathe, breathe. You're going to fail. So I want to leave you with a gift. And I know normally we don't do this, but, um, on Thursday I text the, uh, the elders and I said, Hey, this isn't a parenting class. There's so much that cannot be covered. I mean, we could take a lifetime and literally not cover everything in parenting, but what would you as elders want to share with us as a church for all of us? Um, and so it started to like click in in the text and then my, it was just flooded with stuff. And what was awesome is Jim, who's the oldest, contributed the most, right? And then uh, Tim and then Vincent and then John and I only have three things. Um, but, but all this, and so I took all these things and I accumulated 50 things that are words of wisdom on parenting. And they're going to drop at 1210, so after second service, roughly after second service on Facebook and on our website on the blog there, you can see. And here's what I would encourage you to do. I would encourage you to um, lay the kids down sometime this week. Or even if you don't have kids, that's fine. Just don't go to sleep. Look it up, okay? 
look at this, but if you have kids, lay them down, get with your spouse, and just kind of read through them. And honestly, here's what, here's, sometimes you'll read through them and you go, well, those feels like they contradict one another. That's right. Because it's like wisdom. It's like sometimes I don't know what I'm supposed to do. There's different voices. In this moment, this is to apply. In other moments, this is to apply. But I was reading through those and I was just, I was like, holy cow, I need this. I got a 10-year-old, an 8-year-old, a 5-year-old, a 2-year-old. I need this. And it's coming from men. Check this out. This is important. Two of our elders have adult children already. And right now we're 5 for 5, y'all. Five believers. So Jim's got three for three. Tim's got two for two, right? Which probably a lot of Kim's doing, but uh, five for five. <laughs> five for five, okay? And that's, and that's huge, right? Cause, and then they married Christians. So you can say we're seven for seven right now. So I got a lot to live up to, right? Got four kids coming in. Eve better get it right, or at least pretend so we can keep our streak alive. Um, no, I'm a Christian. Uh, don't do that. Uh, so so, so hear me, hear their words and they're just good and sit down and go, man, that's, I, I think that's silly. That's not something for us. If nothing else, it can cause some conversation. And I think that's the first step in instruction and discipline with intentionality. Cool. Let's pray. Father, thanks so much for who you are. Thanks for, uh, grace and goodness, um, We recognize that, Jesus, you did the work on the cross, and because of that, we have grace. And yet, we forget, and and specifically to the parents in the room, um, it's hard to give ourselves grace. We just feel like we're messing up so much, and we probably are, and we need that grace. I pray for a church that is a community rallying around raising kids together. I pray that we would be a culture that um, values little children, that the heart of their child is exactly what Jesus calls to his knee and, and sets him up there and has a conversation with. Thank you so much for that. Thank you that you have given us children that we can see the beauty and purity of the gospel in. I pray specifically for fathers in this room that the dads in the room who have been dropping the ball, they would not see themselves as too far. But they would start and they would take steps and then fail, take more steps and fail. But they would be the leaders in their home to discipline and instruct their children. God, help us. Help us stand firm as parents. Help those of us around us uh, to to be um, pillars around us, to stand firm as parents. There's a lot of uh, nuances in there that are difficult to understand. We need you. We love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.